0: setting up stripe was a breeze taking just minutes to get up and running from local markets to global retailers stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease to learn how tap to pay on iphone and stripe can help grow your revenue and reach visit stripe.com slash tap iphone
1: coming up on dtns why it might be illegal for you to embed that instagram post autonomous cars might reduce crashes by about a third and where to position your speakers for better listening This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, June 5th, 2020 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt.
3: And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane.
4: Drawing from Studio Cleveland, I'm Len Peralta.
1: I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. And coming to us from St. Louis, Missouri, (coughs) Mr. Patrick Norton, host of AVXL. How's it going, Patrick?
5: I'm excited that I didn't jump into the opening at the wrong start, at the wrong points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. It's, uh, they good, have humidity man. here. Good.
1: Uh, thanks for, for coming and tell us where to, where to shove our speakers.
5: Hopefully someplace not anatomically improbable.
1: I oh, I wait with bated breath to find out. <laughs> uh, we were just having a conversation about leaf blowers and Wizard of Oz remastering and all kinds of cool stuff on Good Day Internet. If you want to get that show, become a member at patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know.
3: DuckDuckGo search engine CEO Gabriel Weinberg told Bloomberg that officials investigating Google for antitrust violations asked him about the idea of forcing Google to offer search alternatives on Android and also in Chrome. U.S. state and federal investigators are examining Google's dominance in mobile OS, digital advertising, and other businesses. And this
1: just breaking, as, as we're doing the show, U.S. state attorneys general investigating Alphabet for potential antitrust violations are leaning towards breaking up Ad technology uh, from the rest of Google. That's according to a source talking to CNBC. Co-founder of Reddit, Alexis Ohanian, resigned from Reddit's board of directors Friday. Ohanian said on Twitter, he has urged the board to fill his seat with a black candidate. Ohanian also promised to use future gains from his Reddit stock holdings to serve the black community, starting with a million dollar pledge to the Know Your Rights camp. Ohanian's wife and daughter are black.
3: Dropbox launched a private beta of a new password manager on Android called Dropbox Passwords. The app lets users create unique passwords, store them online, and then sync across devices using zero-knowledge encryption, giving only users access to those stored passwords.
1: Amazon and Slack announced a new partnership. Under the deal, Amazon will offer all employees access to Slack's workspace collaboration tools. And in return, Slack will migrate its voice and video calling features to use Amazon's Chime platform on the back end. In addition, AWS will work to better integrate services like AWS Chatbot and Amazon AppFlow into Slack.
3: EA launched over 25 games on Steam, previously only available on EA's Origin storefront. Games include titles from the Dragon Age, Crisis, and Need for Speed franchises, as well as the new, newly launched Command & Conquer Remastered Collection. Valve also plans to offer benefits for EA Access subscribers on Steam, expected to be available later this summer.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit more about why everybody seems to be downloading Twitter.
3: Yeah, according to data from both Aptopia and Sensor Tower, the Twitter mobile app had its most global downloads and installs ever in the past week. Censor Tower estimated that Twitter received more than a million downloads on both Monday and Tuesday, and Aptopia estimated that Twitter reached a record number of installs on Wednesday, with 677,000 downloads worldwide, including more than 500,000 outside the US. Aptopia also reported that Twitter peaked at 40 million daily users, daily active users, on Thursday, and Twitter also reported at 31 million monetizable daily active users, which is the number that Twitter actually cares about the most.
1: Yeah, that's their last uh, earnings report. The thirty-one million. So the the peak of forty million is sort of by comparison. All that's a little bit apples and origins because they do the monetizable uh, thing. And a lot of this is explained by people around the world wanting to know what's going on in the United States. Uh, as as things are moving more rapidly, their local news outlets may not be posting stories as fast as they would want. So they're they're wanting to see what's happening on Twitter. They hear a lot of people posting on Twitter and they want to see what those people are actually saying on Twitter Uh, and I think that explains a lot of it but I also think those of us here in the United States uh, are using it more. I, I use Twitter regularly. It's not like I downloaded it new, but I was using it in a much different way this past week, uh, specifically on Monday when we had protests a mile away from here uh, mm-hmm. and some looting happened. And I, I was keeping tabs on that all day because I knew the protests were scheduled and I was trying to see like, okay, what's happening? Is it is this one seem like it's under control, et cetera. And Twitter, even though you have to sift through a lot of misinformation and exaggerations was the best way to know, okay, this is an actual video of what's happening. I know that that's in my neighborhood, uh, and see what's happening minute by minute. So I imagine that's part of this as well.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. I, I've actually fallen off of, uh, posting on Twitter. (laughs) Probably a lot of my followers are happy about that. You know, like a lot of just kind of silly stuff that I use Twitter for. I just, I no longer do because, I don't know, people get busy and we find other apps to do so. But I definitely find that if there is some sort of uh, major news event and this, you know, the last, I don't know, the last three months really are are the most major news events that we've had in, in some time Twitter is the place that I go. Fire it up and be like, okay, what are people talking about? And then sometimes I have to go other places to get a little bit more context because it's Twitter. Um, Pat, I wonder how you feel. I mean, being in a different part of the, you know, the U.S. for the first time and in, in some time, and and how you keep up on the news. Um,
5: it's it's been interesting because uh, the place I was we we were sheltering in place for several weeks in the San Luis Valley uh, in southeastern Colorado. And it's a part of the United States where technically there's like five people per square mile. And in reality, I think it's much lower than that because you know, a third of more than a third of the population of Valley is in one town. And I bring this up because when you get someplace like that, a lot of what you find out is by actually physically talking to people who live there or who talk regularly to uh, law enforcement, because there, there, there is a paper. It comes out weekly. Um, there is no huge Twitter presence. There is no huge, uh, there's just not a lot of social media to keep track of stuff. And it was kind of an interesting moment because you're looking at what's going on with the state. You're trying to keep abreast of what's happening locally. Locally, um, you know, for me at this point, the noise to signal ratio is or is so bad on Twitter. I find it incredibly frustrating, and I've just been easing back into it. Um, also, there's 82 towns in St. Louis, and uh, I still don't know the names of 60 of them, so it makes <laughs> it really hard sometimes to kind of track what's going on and where it actually Kirkwood. is. Where's Kirk? <laughs> I know where Kirkwood is. My grandmother lived there.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, Back in April, Mashable won a case against photographer Stephanie Sinclair. Mashable had embedded one of Sinclair's Instagram posts. And the judge, you might think, reasonably concluded uh, that Sinclair licensed the photo to Instagram. That's part of the Instagram terms of service. And so the embed... Was essentially a sublicense. But Monday, a judge ruled against Newsweek in a similar hmm. case with photographer Elliot McGuckin. That judge said that there was not enough evidence of a sublicense granted when embedding. So Ars Technica went and asked Instagram, well, What do you think should happen here? And they got a surprising answer. Instagram told Ars Technica that it does not provide a copyright license to users of its embedding API. The company said their terms of service allow them to grant sub-licenses, but that, quote, our platform policies require third parties to have the necessary rights from applicable rights holders to embed. In other words, you need permission from the owner of an Instagram post to embed an Instagram post that isn't yours. This is likely not done yet, as Newsweek can appeal, and there's precedent at the circuit court level. The Ninth Circuit Court has ruled about something called the server test, which kind of sidesteps this whole sublicense thing and says, whoever runs the server delivering the content has the liability. So in this case, if you were using the server test, the judge would have said, well, Instagram is serving the photo and Instagram has the license for the photo, so it's fine. Uh, that is, The judge in this case did not use the server test. I imagine Newsweek will try to assert the server test in its appeal, and that appeal is likely to make it to the Second Circuit Appeals Court, which might or might not follow the Ninth Circuit precedent on the server test. If it does, then this is kind of done and dusted, uh, and the server test will likely be solidified as the law of the land. But if the Second Circuit uh, appe- Appeals Court denies the server test, then you've got two circuit courts at each other's odds and that's Brokes. when you start to see uh, a Supreme Court case shaping
5: up. What a mess.
3: <laughs> but- well, and you know, does Stephanie Sinclair have a, have a case back, you know, in the mix given that clearly... Well, that this-
1: she won. Uh, and, and so, it, yeah, it all, it all depends on, on what
3: the, well, no is. mashable one against her.
1: Oh, Stephanie Sinclair. Yeah. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Elliot Would Stephanie Sinclair in. be able to like relitigate
3: this? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, yeah. hold on a second. Yeah. Like how are these two things different? Sure. A news or, you know, a publication, embedded one of my photos. I take issue with that. You know, what, what, what course do I have? She may be exhausted
1: what? though, since she didn't appeal it. Cause she did go to court. Uh, yeah, that's so it's true. Hard, it's hard to say, but the broader implication is, for the time being, now Instagram's policy is you should not be embedding Instagram posts, which is against the way the web works. The way the web has worked up till yes, now but, has been by the server test.
5: But Instagram also wants you to go to the Instagram app or the Instagram web page, but only if the Instagram web page is signed in. You know what I mean? They, 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 what they, they, they've been working very hard to try to force people into using their app because their app is a shining beacon on a hill or or something. But mostly that, that comment to Ars Technica <laughs> sounds like Instagram a cop-out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, But, the, but the, the, the quote to Instagram from Ars Technica to me just reeks of, you know, we really don't want to get involved in this litigation, so we're going to tell you something that is technically true internally that we've probably never published anywhere, and our embedding partners are going to be really pissed off at they Well, and when they, they, read they
1: also want to keep their photography clients happy, and the photographers want yeah. this to not be licensable. They want people to have to get permission, which is why they're going to court over this stuff.
3: Well, guess who we haven't talked about in a while on this show? Broadcom. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) During Broadcom's (laughs) quarterly earnings call, CEO Hockton said that a large North American phone mobile customer, didn't say who, just said, you know, just Hmm. a big one, normally contributes a double digit uplift in revenue for Broadcom, which supplies parts like modems. Hmm. Tom said that Broadcom is now, quote, not expecting to see this uptick in revenue until our fourth fiscal quarter, end quote. He said Broadcom is is in on the device, but has questions about the timing. Apple happens to be Broadcom's biggest North American customer. Didn't say that that's who it was. Just, just might be. And mm-hmm. analysts have speculated that a new iPhone might be delayed from Q3 to Q4. So
1: wait a minute. Are you saying that... Broadcom says one of their biggest customers is delaying a device, and Apple is Broadcom's biggest customer. So it might be Apple that's delaying a device until the
3: fourth quarter. I mean, I, you know, that how would I know such a thing? It one one might on the case, put two and two together, <laughs> and I I I think it's somewhat obvious that that's what Broadcom is talking about here, and yeah.
1: Uh, and, and so it doesn't surprise me that an iPhone release that might normally happen in September is probably going to happen in October. And it means you, that even if uh, you do order an, an iPhone, a new iPhone in October – might be harder to get, might be in limited, more limited supply. Uh, this is the fallout from disruption of supply chains and, and quality control. That whole story we had yesterday about Apple uh, not being able to send their engineers to China and maybe looking for alternative ways to do quality control because of that, uh, That that's part of what causes these delays. So this is just, this is actually some solid information, not just an analyst talking about sources, but, but it's some solid information that like, yeah, it does look like uh, there will be a new iPhone, but it will be Q4, not Q3, which isn't Tragic, to be honest. Two weeks ago, Sam Mokovic from Ars Technica wrote a story about Maxis Business Solutions. Uh, Of course, Maxis, the maker of SimCity, created Maxis Business Solutions in the wake of the success of SimCity to make simulators for business use. Chevron was one of the companies that engaged that division, wanted Maxis to make a simulated oil refinery, not for training purposes, because it just wouldn't be safe uh, to do that, but to help employees at its Richmond, California plant understand how the entire refinery worked. To say like, look, we're not going to train you on every job here, but this gives you a sense of how these jobs are all interdependent. So in 1992, Maxis made a prototype game called Sim Refinery. Librarian and archivist Phil Salvador tried to find a copy, but it seemed like it was lost forever. He found lots of references, but couldn't find the actual code until an Ars Technica reader hearing about Salvador's efforts in the Ars Technica article, posted to the comments with an image of Sim Refinery on a 3.5-inch disc that he said belonged to a retired chemical engineering friend. That poster called themselves Post Bebop and promised to try to recover the disc. And after apparently some annoying extraction, uh, did so. And on Thursday, returned to Ars comments saying that the code had been posted at archive.org as part of its playable DOS emulation, and you could now play the incomplete but existing game of Sim Refinery. Uh, the game is uh, available to play on the web now as much as you can. A lot of the buttons don't work because it was never completed. Uh, and Salvador himself has been streaming the game on his Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash obscuratory.
3: I got to say, I mean, not working in the refinery field in any sense and I don't necessarily plan to this is such a like cool way to learn something uh, in a in a in a in a in a sense of I don't know somewhere that you would never have the opportunity to learn otherwise. Like, I would like to play this. I want to know like what the company wanted to gain Chevron in this case by saying, Hey, play this game and then give us some feedback of what makes sense to you and what doesn't make sense to you so that we can be a better company overall. I mean, we are talking about, you know, gas and oil companies, but, but think of all the companies that might have done this and, and being a fly on the wall.
1: Patrick, do you want to play Sim Refinery?
5: Partially, in mean, one, I've already opened the link and I closed it immediately because <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing something constructive right now. <laughs> um, but it's also, <laughs> I was like, I was listening to to Sarah, and I'm like, oh, you know, this is like the farm simulator and the truck diving simulator and the train. There's all these insane simulations of of job scenarios these days. Most of them coming out of Europe, where you're looking at it and you're like, oh, that's just that's just. And then 19 hours later, you're like, did I just? Drive a tractor for 12 hours and then look at. Hey,
3: <laughs> <Right. laughs> I learned a lot. I tell you, um, you know, I, like-
1: you, I, I did try Sim Refinery earlier today. You have to know a lot about the refinery for this to make any sense. Uh, and like I said, a lot of the editing buttons don't work. You can't go and change right. the refinery, you really can only re- control it. Uh, and none of the buttons make any sense to me, but I imagine if I worked at the refinery, these would all be terms that I was familiar with. Uh, don't folks, touch that button. That's yeah. The folks term who you do know with. about it say it's really fun. Like you can, you can, you know, see how things are interdependent. And if you do something wrong in one place, it explodes somewhere else. Uh, and it's, it's like you said, Sarah, it's all for like helping people understand how their, how their roles interrelate. Uh, and it's a cool idea.
5: I just, having worked so close to it, I just want the chance to understand, like, some of the different sections and what they were doing when they were glowing at night or not on fire. Original, um, yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of not on fire, hopefully, a study from the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety estimates that autonomous cars could prevent about one-third of U.S. car crashes if – all cars on the road were autonomous. <laughs> autonomous cars will be better at identifying hazards. They can react faster. They won't suffer distractions that humans suffer. The problem comes when events happen too fast for even a computer to react to, such as a bicycle unexpectedly veering into a car's path. We know all about that story with, with Uber back in Arizona. Autonomous cars are not expected to be able to prevent all errors or misjudgments like that, but a group of autonomous vehicle makers called Partners for Automated Vehicle Education uh, pointed out that the study assumed that humans could alter car programs to break traffic laws, which accounted for another 38% of crashes.
1: Yeah, so the people who make the automated cars are saying, oh no, it, it would if you actually make sure that people can't like change it to speed then it's going to pre- prevent two-thirds uh, of crashes or more um, and the insurance Institute is really just looking for like what's what's the way we can reduce payouts which means they want to get it accurate they want to get they don't want it the number right. to be too high or too low uh, so I, I tend to trust the insurance Institute but that is that is a controversial assumption to say like you know will will we be able to have our autonomous cars go faster uh, than the law allows, or will we be, you know, prevented from that? Will even if I own the autonomous car, will the car go? No, no, I can never go more than seventy miles an hour because that's the the speed in this zone, th- which I can actually endanger
5: you in some parts of the United States. Um- well, if
1: all the cars are <laughs> autonomous, I guess it wouldn't. But while it's mixed, okay. it absolutely could. Yeah, you're right. Uh, And and they were also taking taking the uh, the more forgiving assumption of all the cars being autonomous, which, of course, won't be the truth for a long time. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. No. Okay. Uh, Everybody's (laughs) like, I I, I don't know, I, I was seeing this spun negatively out there and and I was like, you know, They're saying like, oh, uh, cars won't be able to prevent autonomous cars won't won't prevent 70 percent of crashes. I'm like, yeah, but that's still a third. That's that's I'll I'll take it. You
3: know, I mean, listen, yeah, it's I feel like we're, we're so and we talk about this all the time on the show. We're on the precipice of this being the norm but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm, right. And so, you know, there's still this, this ongoing conversation of like, well, is it just safer to like keep it as humans or you know, are the robots going to, you know, start, you know, um, making really bad mistakes on the road and and we as humans will suffer. And, and all the research shows that no, the case is that autonomous cars are going to make us safer, but it's still a very, it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people because it's going to change life. Yeah.
5: It, it's also, I mean, a lot of the autonomous car companies have grossly exaggerated the current state of how effective their autonomous driving systems are, and that's been kind of interesting to watch because what you hear from local news reports or locals who live in the area who interface with these autonomous vehicles when they're being tested sometimes doesn't jibe with the claims that they're making when they're talking about how in two years our car will do everything and people in, in Phoenix are like, okay, but no,
1: (laughs) look look at what's actually happening on the road where you only have fully autonomous tests even happening in Houston with Newtonomy uh, and that doesn't involve carrying people that involves carrying groceries and right. Phoenix with Waymo in a very limited case carrying passengers, which isn't even happening right now during the pandemic. Right. Uh, and and look at that. Look at the results. Don't look at the promises. If you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe
2: to DailyTechHeadlines.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
0: Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com tapiphone tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI.
1: Well, uh, I know a lot of folks uh, are spending a lot more time listening to things at home. Uh, and obviously, you know, having good TV is, is a part of, of, of watching stuff uh, when you're in lockdown. And even as lockdowns ease, you're, you're probably still going to be spending a little more time at home than you used to for a while. So we wanted to improve your audio as well. If you got some speakers, Patrick, uh, maybe you got new ones or maybe you just have old ones. What are some tips on how to place them to get the best sound?
5: Oh, my goodness. Um, it's I was giggling uh, when we're, we were talking in, uh, before the show started because there are some people that have gotten sort of, you know, they're using, like, Grecian formulas to describe, you know, the artistic ideal for your speaker placement and how it's going to create magnificent and mostly, um, you know, sound is a lot more physics i think than art but one of the things with speaker placement is it's it differs in every room um because every room is different and you know the worst possible place to listen to uh speakers is them like shoved up against a wall in an empty room with nothing on the walls no carpet on the floor because you have sort of the worst echo chamber on the planet so i'm going to assume you have some furniture maybe a carpet you've got some stuff up on the walls um a real simple equilateral triangle is the kind of the best place to start, especially if you're on a desk, if you can just get the speakers so that, you know, your head is one corner of the equilateral triangle and one speakers here and one speakers here, and then toe in the speakers towards your head. Some speakers, they don't want to be towed in. The manufacturer may have recommendations on that. They'll be too bright if they're pointed towards you, but they will be perfect. You know, if they're kind of, uh, you know, perpendicular to you. Um, but uh, you know, You want to start kind of with an equilateral triangle. Ideally, your seat would be in the middle of a room if you're setting up speakers in a room. Probably not practical if you have a desk. Uh, But one thing you do want to do, wherever the speakers are, you want to try to get the tweeters at your ear level. Uh, And you want to make sure there's nothing between you and the speakers. I I laugh because a friend of mine was like, I'm having trouble hearing the right channel. And I was like, well, that chair is between you and, and the speaker. And he said, like, well, I can't move that chair. I'm like, then you're not really going to hear that right channel because all the audio is going into the side of that chair. And it sounds silly when I say that out loud, but, you know, one of the great battles uh, is between speaker placement and not being thrown out of your house by the other people who live there. Um, you know, uh, it's, you know, a friend of mine refers to it as the spousal acceptance factor, expect he's gender specific. And I actually had a really great email several years ago from a woman who was like, stop saying wife acceptance factor because it's me that's buying the speakers in this house. So I've since yeah. then, to it as the Spousal acceptance factor, um, but you want to get the tweeters at your ear level, and if you can get stands, if you have little speakers on your desk, if you can elevate those speakers, it can often make a huge difference. Um, and uh, you know, make sure that you have stands under speakers if they're unless they're if they're floor-standing speakers, that's one thing. But if you have a bookshelf speaker or a small shelf uh, small speaker, getting it up off the floor, getting the tweeter around the ear level where you're listening, uh, makes a huge difference.
3: The
5: placement of the speaker in the room You can experiment with this, and it's often kind of amazing and alarming how moving a speaker six or eight inches can make a huge difference in the sound. Um, Starting with the speakers a few inches from the wall and working them out till they sound good, and then keep working them out until they sound bad, uh, and then moving them back uh, is a nice way to kind of figure this out. Um, The closer you get to a wall, it tends to reinforce on some speakers or make the you know, it'll either reinforce the bass and make it more solid, or it will make the bass overwhelming and bloaty and Awful. Um, A lot of folks use what they call like the one third or the one fifth rule, which again, that I you know I have this room and it is my audio or home theater room, and my seat is kind of in the middle, and the speakers are like one third or one fifth the difference from the back wall. uh, To that's kind of like an ideal start. Uh, That's way too far into the room for most people and for a lot of living rooms. But uh, that situation where you get them away from the wall can help create to help prevent creating things called standing waves that kind of make super important parts of the audio spectrum just go away because of the way the the audio is bouncing around the room. Um, A couple of good places to look at, Cambridge Audio, the art of positioning speakers, is a nice walkthrough on stereo speakers. Um, They kind of give you some basic tips that uh, I think are pretty solid. And if you're setting up surround sound speakers, the gold standard is Dolby's Guide to Surround Sound Speaker Setup, where they tell you, literally because it's math and science, they're like, they want this speaker 120 degrees from your head, or 60 degrees, and this speaker at 120 degrees, and these speakers at 90 degrees and that's because when you're creating surround sound you kind of need the speakers to be where they want them to be or the whole thing doesn't work quite right.
1: Ah, that sounds like good advice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean as somebody who I I had floor standing speakers with a center and it was a whole 5.1 it was a, a beautiful setup and as I moved to, I don't know, smaller apartments over the years. I kind of, you know, gifted them to other people and then went Sonos and Sonos is very good about, you know, trying to figure out what your room situation mm-hmm. is like. I also have, you know, a, like a, a, a dramatic a frame in my mm-hmm. living room now. So the sound bounces differently than before. And I think a lot of uh, the speaker companies do have apps now where they're trying to help you figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, My question is over the years, always Mm. having a sub on the floor when there were people living under me was like the worst thing ever, because (laughs) I I really like to blow that out. I don't happen to have that problem anymore. But what would be your advice? Like, what do you do? Where do you put it?
5: Um, it really depends a lot on the uh, it depends a lot on the structure you're in and how solid it is. If you're in an apartment building with concrete floors that are like reinforced concrete, they tend to absorb a lot of the base and maybe you put uh, a pad underneath it and that kind of decouples the subwoofer from the floor and that helps um, that actually helps isolate the sound somewhat. The, the problem is is, is uh, a friend of mine works for a company called, well he, he started a company called the Source AV down in Torrance, California and they make amazing home theaters like close your eyes imagine a hollywood producer with too much money and a blank check and that guy builds those uh those systems and to eliminate all of the base like when they have somebody who's like it has to be perfect they basically pour three feet of concrete and create this (laughs) giant bunker and that that eliminates all of the base from trucks going by or strange things happening outside or planes going over um so it, it can be really challenging and a lot of it's for me when i lived in an apartment building that was made out of uh Toothpicks and spit um, figuring out like I basically put all of the speakers sort of at the far end of the one room and pretty much could only operate them uh, when my neighbor was at work or out partying because he once complained that I opened the refrigerator and and (laughs) drank water. And he's like, You can't be making this noise. And I explained to him that I actually opened up the refrigerator and I put a towel down so the cup coming out of the oh boy. thing wouldn't wake him up and pour it. And he's like, Well, oh, it's just too much. I'm like, So you're telling me I can't drink water when I'm thirsty in my apartment? And he's like, I really would prefer you didn't after ten o'clock at night. And I'm like, Great. Tonight we're gonna have a demonstration of what loud is so we can recalibrate your needs and so that I can actually have a life that involves using my refrigerator. You see,
3: you see, yeah. Uh, apartment life this stuff Um, really matters
5: it does really matter it's tough uh also shout out to sonos they just released the arc which just came out uh shipping uh actually in five days and that uh, brings dolby atmos into one of a wider skinnier uh bar and that's uh that's pretty slick but yeah subwoofers are tough because those deep frequencies penetrate all the walls and drive all the neighbors insane Um, I'm sorry.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, I I am two neighbors of mine over the last decade plus. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If you if you feel our pain, uh, you can join our conversation here at Discord, which you can join by linking to a Patreon account at patreon.com slash DTNS.
1: Let's check out the mailbag.
3: Oh, let's. So Stephen wrote in and took me to task. And I'm glad you did, Stephen, because he said, I have a quick correction for DTNS 3795. That was our show yesterday. Uh, Ben Gomes is my fiance's cousin. I just want to correct the pronunciation of his last name. That was me. It's pronounced like Holmes, not like Gomez, as in Gomez Adams. Per my fiancé, it's an obscure surname, even in India, and that's where the family's from. So, easy mistake. I had not heard the name myself until they became part of the family.
1: I, uh, I, you know, a lot of people uh, send in pronunciation uh, corrections. We do our best, and, and we usually don't pay attention. But when it comes from the family... You know, you got to give it. Right?
3: Small advice. world. No, I really appreciate that because I was sort of like, I think I got it right, but I didn't. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that, Stephen. Also appreciate patrons at our master and grandmaster levels, including Dr. Carmine M. Bailey, Mike McLaughlin, and Philip Less.
1: And Len Peralta has been drawing during the show. What have you drawn for us this week, Len?
4: Well, we were talking prior to uh, the show what a long Week what well, a long year this week has been, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we you know with with the topic being speaker placement, um, I thought it made a lot of sense to address what's going on uh, here in this country uh, as far as messaging and hearing things. Uh, so that's what this one uh, this image is called. It's called speaker placement, and you can see uh, there is a, um, uh, uh, a couple in front of a TV set that's watching. Uh, The protests going on and uh, the gentleman saying the sound is crystal clear. Are you hearing it? And um, yeah, this one's uh, this one is sort of a response to uh, your show on Monday. Tom uh, was really uh, moved by that. And I wanted to do something personally uh, for this as well. Uh, This image uh is available uh if you're a patreon backer it's there, patreon.com forward slash len i'm not putting this up for sale uh what i'm going to say is if you would are interested in purchasing something like this i would say take the money you would have used uh to give to me and and give it to somebody else uh give it to another uh organization Um, which i have linked on my patreon and also uh on my twitter account um so uh so there you go i usually don't like to get political um, but, uh, I felt there's no way around it this week.
1: I, I think this is, lovely. I, I don't think this is political, uh, Len, you're, you're showing what's happening. People are watching this, uh, and, uh, you even tied in the main topic of speaker placement just to be extra clever. Yeah. I, I think this is fantastic. <laughs> <intense> <laughs> oh, thank Hold you. On.
4: Thank you so much.
3: Also, thanks to Patrick Norton for being with us from your bunker in the Missouri Valley. Uh, Patrick, let folks know where they can keep up with all of your work.
5: Oh, my goodness. Got a couple projects. Uh, Eventually, when I get to my video gear, which is back behind boxes in that corner, I got a new thing coming up. But for right now, do me a favor. Check out AVEXCEL.com, the home theater and audio show I do with Mr. Robert Herron every week
1: please let uh don't forget folks uh you uh showing support through all of the the past three years uh, since march has been amazing uh and we thank you for that if you want to become a member get ad free shows get good day internet get extra content uh even get some free digital art from Len every month become a sure. member at dailytechnewsshow.com slash patreon
3: if you have feedback for us, our email address is feedback at dailytechnewshow.com, and we would love to hear it. If you can join us live, guess what? We are live Monday through Friday, 4, 30 p.m. Eastern, <laughs> 20.30 UTC, and you can find out more at dailytechnewshow.com slash live.
1: Stay safe out there, folks. We'll see you Monday. This
0: show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com
1: hope you have enjoyed this program
3: <laughs> hi this is
5: Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero if you own or operate a business whether it's a local operation or a global corporation partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move by teaming with Bank of America you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools award-winning insights and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com/slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA, copyright 2024. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.